Now on view at SCAD Fash, Manish Aurora's Life is Beautiful. Renowned for dazzling designs and a rainbow of colors, Manish Aurora has brought the talent and craftsmanship of India's rich sartorial history to the global forefront, earning international acclaim on runways across three continents. Designing in India since the 1990s, Aurora's glittering garments celebrate extravagant expressions of self through varied materials, techniques, and silhouettes in a triumphant union of Western and Eastern aesthetics adapted to today's multicultural society with a touch of humor. Find out more at scadfash.org. Support for WABE comes from 100 Miles, a nonprofit committed to preserving Georgia's 100-mile coast. Protecting this critical coastal ecosystem takes all of us. Watch the stories of the innovators and future leaders who help keep our coast flowing at OurGeorgiaCoast.org. From WABE in Atlanta, this is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Thank you for listening. The philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche wrote, Autumn is more the season of the soul than of nature. This gorgeous time of year is both a celebration for the bounty of the harvest and a reminder that life is impermanent. Poets, writers, artists, and composers have found inspiration from this season, and today we'll listen to some music of autumn as Dr. Scott Stewart takes us through his playlist for Thanksgiving 2020. First... Going light years beyond the Peachtree Road Race, Neil Armstrong famously was the first astronaut to walk on the moon. That was in 1969. Now you can run through galaxies and millions of light years in what feels like completing five kilometers. That's thanks to a new interactive app developed by Science ATL. Here to tell us about the Race Through Space Galaxy Edition is the co-director of Science ATL, Mesa Salaita. Welcome to City Lights. Thank you for having me. Would you please tell us about Science ATL and why the organization was created? Sure. So we started off about seven years ago uh, with the Atlanta Science Festival. And we had our very first festival in 2014. And it was a smashing success. It turns out people really want to learn about science. uh, And they're excited to come to festival events like Science Story Times and Hiking Stone Mountain with the geologist and all these different types of events that we have. They were so excited about it. We kept doing the festival, and a few years later, we decided that we needed to do more than just the festival. And so we 
changed the name of our organization to Science ATL, and we do things all throughout the year. We have public science events. Of course, our flagship event is still the Atlanta Science Festival, but we do a leadership development program, science leadership for uh, middle and high school students called the Chief Science Officer Program. And we've got other uh, science communication fellowship for early career scientists and all sorts of things that we do throughout the year. Um, And one of the most exciting things, I think, is the race through space. Yeah, I can't wait to hear more about it. The 5K run is scaled to replicate an intergalactic journey, 54.8 million light years long. That's what the length of this pandemic has felt like for many (laughs) of us. Indeed. (laughs) And and since the COVID-19 outbreak, many races such as Atlanta's annual Peachtree Road Race, the Atlanta Half Marathon, these have been postponed or canceled. Other races have opted to go virtual. What inspired the Race Through Space app? So we too had a physical in-person race. The first race through space, we ran, instead of running the galaxies, we were running the solar system. And that was in-person in 2019. And we intended to do that once again. But, you know, the universe had different plans for us. And we thought to ourselves, we could go virtual and just tell people to go run this distance. But can we make it more exciting? Can we do something a little bit more fun? And thanks to funding from Randstad and Emory University, we were able to conceive of this app, which basically allows you to hit start and the app tracks your location as you're running. And so it's able to measure the distances that you're running. And when you hit a certain distance, you know, let's say half a kilometer, you um, come upon your first galaxy because that is equivalent in light years to the distance that you have, you've run and, and you get to learn about the Andromeda galaxy. And then you run a little bit further and the app gets triggered to tell you a little bit more about uh, the cigar galaxy or the sombrero galaxy. And all the way until you hit this, uh, the black hole that we got an image of um, a year or two back. Oh, wow. So when a user downloads the app, what different resources can they find? The app is free, which is really exciting. We were really happy to be able to share it with everybody. And we worked with the Georgia Space Grant Consortium, uh, which is based out of Georgia Tech, to uh, develop the content. And an amazing writer who created such such funny, funny language around the content that is being shared. So you're learning without really realizing that you're learning. You walk away feeling like a runstronaut. I love that word. You have added a word and expanded (laughs) our vocabulary. A runstronaut is great. And I saw that you also dedicate this to hamsters. Yes, uh, we the the part of the joke in the app is has to do with our uh, test hamsters who um, tested out the technology of the app for you in advance. And if you're not a runner, you can also be a walkstronaut. Uh, there's no reason that uh, one has to run uh, 54.8 million light years. It's exhausting. Uh, so uh, you can also walk the distance and get just as much out of it. Oh, that's great. But you don't encourage sitting through the galaxy. Well, interestingly, uh, the app will not work if you just sit still. So. <laughs> I've had some people, some rogue people tell me that maybe they put it in their car and they started <laughs> driving. Oh, that's not fair. <laughs> no, it's not. 
Mesa, this is a fantastic tool for exposing children to STEAM topics. What age demographic does the app address, or does it have one? You know, when I thought about this, I was thinking primarily of people who would have their own phones. Um, and so, you know, that that's a little bit different for every family, but uh, I, I was thinking high school and up as is how I originally conceived of it. But, you know, my daughter's teacher, her kindergarten teacher was telling me that she took, uh, her daughter now refuses to run in the stroller with her unless she gets to run to space. And so she just, she carries that app and she she looks at it and you get to see pictures of the galaxies as you're passing through them. And you, and, you know, she learns about it and some of the jokes are over her head and that's fine. Uh, so I really think that, um, I didn't anticipate it at the beginning, but I really think that this could work for just about anybody. Oh, is the app accessible only for 5K races or can it be used or a 10K, a marathon, can you just keep turning it on? You can certainly hit play and replay as many times as you, as you would like, but the distance is scaled only to a 5K. It felt like the right amount of distance for the average walker or runner and to be able to get across the content we wanted. Very considerate. Has Science ATL partnered with the Atlanta Track Club or actually partnered with any of the races, the peach tree, which will be held on Thanksgiving virtually, in order to promote the app? You know, we've put the word out through the running communities, but we haven't um, engaged in a formal partnership, but that's certainly a, a good next step in the process. Yeah, one small step, <laughs> giant leap. If only he had said humankind. I know, I know. Well, we can't change history. I read that participants can use their smartphones to display actual images of the various heavenly bodies. Yeah, so it's it's super exciting. You get to see why the Sombrero Galaxy is called the Sombrero Galaxy or the Needle Galaxy is called such. And I think, you know, the most exciting part for me is when you reach the end and you get sucked into the black hole <laughs> and uh, you get to see that that image which was a really powerful image it was the first time we got a picture of a black hole time doesn't mean anything to us anymore but i think it was maybe a year and a half ago that that came out it's a real breakthrough in science and i think this is just a very very cool way to let people see that oh yes where can users download the app so you can get it on google play or the itunes uh, the app store on Apple. and you said it's free it is indeed, yes. Your background is in chemistry, Mesa. Were you at all involved in the creation of the app? Yes, absolutely. So I am a chemist by training. I first wanted to be an astronomer when I was about six years oh. old. So certainly I, I have always carried a love of that. But I I managed the production of the whole thing and worked with the scientists and worked with the writers and the sound engineer and so forth to, to make it all happen. Okay. I just didn't know how specialized your individual work at Science ATL was, but clearly reading over your bio and the work you have done with the podcast and with your writing, you have all of the production cred to make this so accessible 
for years. Yeah, I've, I've dedicated my career to science uh, communication and um, informal science education. So the, I, I kind of feel like being a chemist is a, is a mark against me <laughs> because that's so highly specialized. And what I do now is really, really very broad. Are there any future plans for creating different places that participants can track their running, you know, maybe an ocean side run or a mountain range? Absolutely. We've had uh, dreams of the next steps being perhaps running the, the Mississippi and learning about the ecosystems along the Mississippi or the Appalachian Trail, maybe the human digestive track. <laughs> It's, it's questionable where you would end there and what that ending would look like, <laughs> but, but maybe more fun for the younger crew. <laughs> yeah, so there's all sorts of ideas that we're really super excited to explore. Mesa Salida is the co-executive director of Science ATL. Their new Race Through Space app is available through the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can find more information on our website, wabe.org slash citylights. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving. And even though things may look different this year, we're still reminded of the annual traditions of family, friends, food, and of course, festive music for this season. WABE music contributor, Dr. Scott Stewart is with us in an attitude of gratitude, if you will, with music to usher in this most thankful of holidays. Scott, welcome and happy Thanksgiving. Oh, thanks, Louis. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. And it's such a great time of year, even in post-election pandemic craziness of 2020. I know so many of us are just ready to push on past this year. But even with all this going on, autumn is such a magical time of year. And the Thanksgiving holiday is a time when we kind of put on the brakes from our really busy lives. Philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said, I noticed that autumn is more the season of the soul than of nature. And I definitely can buy into that. Oh, beautifully put. Yeah, fall is the most gorgeous time of year here in particular. And this season is a wonderful intersection of emotional states as we reflect on the bounty of the harvest, the withering of living things, and a time to turn inward. Yeah, that's right. It's it's really this stunning dichotomy, isn't it? It's a, a kind of a paradox. And if you think about the, the four seasons as a metaphor for life, we're born in the spring, we thrive and live in the summer, we descend into old age in the autumn, and then we experience death in the winter. And so autumn, in that metaphor, is this bittersweet embodiment of the end of a life's journey. It's a reminder that life is short and it's impermanent. And it's no wonder that poets and musicians have found plenty of inspiration when it comes to the autumn season. 
Mm. Scott, for many of us, music has been the saving grace of a very challenging, emotionally exhausting 2020. So what are you serving up for your Thanksgiving playlist? I have a whole bunch of interesting selections today. I thought we'd start out with the music of autumn that celebrates the harvest, that big payoff at the end of a summer of hard work. So we'll dance and we will feast and make merry. What better music to evoke golden leaves mixed with reds and orange, crisp mornings, and perhaps even one of your favorite pumpkin spice lattes, Scott. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> this music is the autumn section of Vivaldi's collection of violin concertos known as the Four Seasons. He wrote this brilliant work in 1720 and included poetry in the score. This is such a fascinating piece. You know, the Four Seasons have really wiggled their way into popular consciousness. Many of us know the tunes, even if we're not sure what the titles are. The concertos, as you say, were super virtuosic, bristling with energy, and intended to kind of paint a tonal picture, a practice that really wouldn't come to full fruition until about 100 years later in the Romantic era. So they were actually pretty hip and advanced for their time. The first movement that we just heard is a rustic country dance at a harvest festival. Our Vivaldi turns down the temperature for the second movement of the autumn concerto in the Four Seasons. This is a lovely section with a tempo marking of adagio molto, which is the designation for very slow. You have these beautiful arching string patterns, and then you hear the harpsichord playing throughout, outlining these slow moving chords that for me brings in this really cool autumn breeze with falling leaves.
And finally, the third movement depicts a fox hunt in the form of a jaunty dance, which is supposed to convey the pleasures of the chase. Although no pleasure involved for the fox, thank you. No, poor fox does not fare very well. In fact, Vivaldi's own program notes are a little grisly. He says, the fleeing beast, guns and hounds, the fleeing beast is slain. (laughs) But he manages, I think, to compose a very pleasant, dignified and satisfying ending to this three-part concerto dedicated to the fall season. Sir Neville Mariner leading the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields in that recording of Vivaldi's Four Seasons. Scott, the seasons have been inspiration for many composers. Yeah, in fact, a lot more than I ever knew about. Certainly the Four Seasons by Vivaldi is the most famous, but there are several versions throughout the musical history timeline. And one popular setting is a kind of secular oratorio. You know, most oratorios are based on biblical stories. In this case, it's not based on a biblical story, but in fact, the seasons themselves by Franz Joseph Haydn. This is composed back in 1801. Haydn had had tremendous popular and financial success with the creation oratorio three years earlier, and this was among his last major compositions. And this is, as you might imagine, divided into four parts with some little choruses and arias and recitatives and orchestral interludes that you might expect in a piece from this genre. So the autumn section of The Seasons by Haydn expresses the farmer's joy at the rich harvest.
the libretto reads, hurrah, hurrah, the wine is safe. The barrels have been filled. Now let us be merry and shout hurrah, hurrah with might and main. Let us drink and all be merry. That's a certainly celebratory piece for healthy grapes. <laughs> Scott, many of us are familiar with the famous saber dance from the Guyana Suite by the 20th century Armenian composer Aram Khachaturian. The original ballet was premiered in 1942, and Khachaturian extracted three popular orchestral suites one year later. It's kind of interesting to remember that this is in the middle of World War II, that uh, ballets were still happening and uh, art was still being created, but it, it's kind of smack dab in the middle of all the action. And certainly Sabre Dance is also one of those classical pieces that everybody recognizes. And in addition to that really popular piece, there's a whole bunch of other music that kind of made their way into these suites from Kachaturian's ballet. and we have this movement entitled Harvest Holiday, which made its way into the collection. Here you can hear some of the Russian sounding influences in this music with the pivots into the minor sadder sounding keys. It almost sounds like Prokofiev that's oompa oompa marching along with us and even a little hint of Tchaikovsky in there. It sounds like the fanfares at the beginning of the fourth symphony. So clearly some Russian and Slavic sounding influences in here and another really interesting setting of celebrating the harvest. Hard work is hard, but it certainly pays off in the end. WABE music contributor Dr. Scott Stewart. We'll hear more from his autumn music playlist after his short break. You are tuned to WABE Atlanta. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. This is City Lights. 
Bites on WABE. I'm Lois Wright says thank you for listening. Let's return to my conversation with WABE music contributor Dr. Scott Stewart. He has a Thanksgiving playlist for us filled with wonderful autumn music. Alexander Glazunov was a Russian composer of the late Romantic period. He bridged several generations of Russian composers following the reign of Tchaikovsky. Glazunov was a student of the composer Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov, and when he was the director of the St. Petersburg Conservatory, Sergei Prokofiev and Dmitry Shostakovich were students there. Talk about surrounding yourself with good people. You know, I don't think as many people know Glass enough, but he's he was in the middle of all those great Russian traditions. And I do feel obligated, Lois, to stop the show immediately to mention that Glazunov also wrote one of the first and really substantive concertos for a saxophone and orchestra back in the 1890s. And this is when the saxophone was only about 50 years old. It was still a baby. So the saxophone concerto by Glasnov remains one of the staples of the repertoire. Mm. Another setting of the seasons by Glasnov was from 1900. And this was a single act ballet in, not surprisingly, four acts. However, instead of starting with spring, Glasnov decided to start with winter and then end the ballet with autumn. And the autumn section opens with this really lively bacchanal or wild drunken party. there seems to be unanimous euphoria surrounding the successful harvest of grapes in our music history timeline. <laughs> At least in the European music, we yes. can tell. The Petite Adagio, the little slow section, forms the centerpiece of fall from Glazunov seasons. This is sumptuous music, very much in the romantic tradition, highly expressive. 
This is a stunning piece of music and a really exquisite part played by the harpist throughout. The melody that you hear is picked up by various soloists. It rises and rises and gets higher and bigger and fuller, and then it gently dissolves. Are those falling leaves? Well, I'm not sure, but whatever they are, they're really, really pretty. And this is a, a really beautiful, satisfying piece that depicts some of the emotional frames of autumn. plenty to celebrate in the fall, and also quite a bit to think about. This seems the perfect opportunity to explore the inward-looking aspect of autumn. So much of the music that dwells on the emotions swirling around this turning of the year are scored for smaller performing forces. So not necessarily huge orchestras, but maybe more chamber or even solo settings. Czech composer David Popper wrote a really popular six movement suite for cello and piano entitled Im Valde or In the Forest. And the fifth section of this suite is a very tender and meditative Herbstblume or Autumn Flower.
marvelous cellist Janos Starker, longtime professor at the Jacobs School of Music at Indiana University. He chaired the string department for many years. We've been listening to Herbstblume, or Autumn Flower, from Popper Suite for Cello and Piano, Imvalde. Shigeo Nariki was the pianist. The Dream of Autumn by composer Archibald Joyce, who was also known as the English Waltz King. In an account by Harold Bride, remember him? He was the wireless operator on the Titanic. Oh my. He recalled hearing this song being played as the ship foundered. And this music has a kind of tragic quality to it due to the minor key, but it also has this urgency that's hurried along by the waltz time. Mm. Paul Moravitz is an award-winning composer with pedigrees from Harvard and Columbia. He won the Pulitzer Prize in 2004 for his work Tempest Fantasy. Yeah, a really interesting composer. And that very same year as the Tempest Fantasy, he wrote a smaller scale piece, a really gentle solo for flute and piano entitled Autumn Song. This is a really atmospheric piece and it emphasizes the lyrical qualities of the flute. Maria Martin on flute. I love the ambiguity of this piece. It's tonal, but it has some dissonant edges and it's lyrical, but it also has some flightiness. 
So to me, it seems warm and cool at the same time. And maybe it's the perfect metaphor for a piece about the autumn. Mm. And how ideally suited to the flute that music is. The English composer Rayfon Williams was known for his pastoral settings in chamber, orchestral, and wind band music. His cantata, Folk Songs of the Four Seasons for Women's Voices, was written for a singing festival in 1950. This is sort of an off-the-beaten-path piece, but charming nonetheless. It features 16 varied English folk song settings themed by seasonal groupings. Clarinetist Richard Stoltzman performs in this adapted version of Autumn by Vaughan Williams. Music of Rayfon Williams, clarinetist Richard Stoltzman played the autumn movement of the suite of English folk song settings with the Guildhall Orchestra. One of the most intriguing composers of our time, I think, is Joseph Curiali, who has a really fascinating background, including arranging and composing for The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. One of his major symphonic albums is called The Music of Life. That was recorded by the London Symphony Orchestra back in 2001. And included on that CD is the movement Liquid Autumn from a larger piece called Passages. This is really interesting, spiritual, impressionistic, and serene music.
film and television composers certainly have capitalized on the music of fall to set the scene, literally, or tug on our heartstrings with sentimental and sweeping scores. I couldn't agree more. And I often tell my students that culture is very much a giant sausage grinder. You just put a whole bunch of stuff from the past, you grind it up and mix it around and out it comes into new stuff, but it's still flavored by old stuff. And film music is definitely a result of this technique. Legends of the Fall from 1994, you may remember that was one of Brad Pitt's first big starring roles. Anthony Hopkins was in the show. Has a marvelous score by the late James Horner. Here's the cue from Legends of the Fall called The Wedding. This is inspired and impassioned music from James Horner that I think elevates the narrative in a very heartrending way. And curiously in this scene, an entire year goes by. So the music kind of serves as glue to connect a whole bunch of frames in the montage together. From Legends of the Fall, I also recommend highly the main theme, which is called The Ludlows. There have been multiple adaptations of Louisa May Alcott's Little Women, most recently by Greta Gerwig in 2019. The 1994 version, directed by Gillian Armstrong and starring Winona Ryder, had positive, critical, popular, and financial success. Yeah, I sometimes have a bad attitude about remakes, you know, like King Kong and some of these movies that kind of get worse the more you make them. But I really enjoyed several different versions of Little Women. And I also enjoyed both of these scores. The most recent one was by Alexandra Desplat. And the Anderson version was scored by Thomas Newman. And Newman's main theme for this version of Little Women is stately and majestic. And even though it's for an English period movie, it sounds perfectly American and pioneerish.
So we heard the English horn, which is usually instrument of complete desolation, sadness, and depression. But in this case, drawing us into the intimacy of this family drama. And then the strings are providing a really beautiful pastoral backdrop. Then we've got some big brass coming in, these really crisp figures that brighten the enthusiasm level. This is Thomas Newman, I think, cutting his teeth on what would later become his hallmark style in the later 90s and 2000s. Autumn has been such a rich subject for composers in the timeline of music history. And I hope that as you take some time to just be, to re-energize or to collect some thoughts of gratitude and grace during this holiday, that music will be your constant companion. Happy Thanksgiving. Scott Stewart, you embody grace, and I am most grateful for your friendship for more than 20 years now. It has been, I, I feel the same way. And all that you do to enhance our appreciation of music. Thank you so very much. Thank you, Lois. Dr. Scott Stewart is WABE film music commentator, music contributor, and host of Strike Up the Band. He is on the faculty at the Westminster Schools and conductor of the Atlanta Youth Wind Symphony. You've been listening to City Lights, our daily celebration of Atlanta arts and culture. We'll return Monday at 11 a.m. Our producers are Summer Evans and Ryan McFadden. Kevin Rinker is our engineer. And I'm Lois Reitzes. I would love it if you'd follow me on Twitter, at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. Our theme music is The First Time, written and performed by Joe Granston with his jazz band. Special thanks to Hot Shoe Records. Wishing you the best possible Thanksgiving, with every hope that next year we'll have a normal celebration. All of us at City Lights are grateful to be with you throughout the year. And thank you for listening to WABE, Atlanta's Choice for NPR. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org slash donate and become a member right now. And thank you.